be open-minded to different opportunities and different ways to commercialize in medtech. I think while on some hands it can be a very rigid feeling, uh, you know, commercial industry, right? As far as you've got to get a regulatory clearance, you've got to get reimbursement, you've got to get clinical. If you continue to have an open mind, you'll be able to find the right pockets to commercialize, to develop your technology and to build, you know, value for your enterprise. It doesn't always happen the way you put it on paper and plan it. Welcome to MedSider, where you can learn from the brightest founders and CEOs in medical devices and health technology. Join tens of thousands of ambitious doers as we unpack the insights, tactics, and secrets behind the most successful life science startups in the world. Now, here's your host, Scott Nelson. Hey everyone, it's Scott. In this episode of MedSider, I sat down with Nick Delmonico, co-founder and CEO of Stratos Labs. Nick boasts a dynamic background with an MBA from the Fox School of Business at Temple University and a bachelor's in accounting from the University of Delaware. His career includes roles at ECG, management consultants, PwC, and JP Morgan, where he honed his skills in healthcare strategy, commercialization, and operations, business planning, and project management. Here are a few of the key things that we discussed in this conversation. First, in addressing complex problems, especially in healthcare, it's crucial to first gain a deep understanding of the issue. Actively engage with various stakeholders such as patients, doctors, and administrators to gather a wide range of insights. Second, explore uncharted paths that align with your business's unique needs and market position. For example, by understanding the research requirements of pharmaceutical companies, Stratos not only validated its own technology through others' research, but also gathered invaluable data and got paid for it along the way. Third, starting with non-dilutive funding methods such as grants and competitions is a smart strategy for medtech beginners. This approach allows you to maintain ownership and focus on product building versus the distractions that often come with fundraising. Before we jump into this episode, I wanted to let you know that the latest edition of MedSider Mentors is now live. Volume 4 summarizes the key learnings from the most popular MedSider interviews over the last several months with folks like Rob Ball, CEO of Shoulder Innovations, Kate Rumroll, CEO of Ablative Solutions, Dr. Christian Ramdo, CEO of Tempa Health, and other leaders of some of the hottest startups in the space. Look, it's tough to listen or read every MedSider interview that comes out, even the best ones. But there are so many valuable lessons you can glean from the founders and CEOs that join our program. So that's why we decided to create MedSider Mentors. It's the easiest way for you to learn from the world's best medical device and health technology entrepreneurs in one central place. If you're interested in learning more, head over to MedSiderRadio.com forward slash mentors. Premium members get free access to all past and future volumes. And if you're not a premium member yet, you should definitely consider signing up. In addition to every volume of MedSider Mentors, you'll get full access to the entire library of interviews dating back to 2010. You'll also be able to see all of our playbooks, which are hand-picked collections of the most insightful interviews with the brightest founders and CEOs. Whether you're looking to master capital fundraising, navigate early stage development, tackle regulatory challenges, understand reimbursement, or position your venture for a meaningful exit, MedSider Playbooks have you covered. And last, considering that fundraising can be one of the most daunting tasks for any startup, we created a meticulous database of investors right at your fingertips. Explore a wealth of VC funds, private equity firms, angel groups, and more, all eager to invest in medical device and health technology startups. Access to this database is a premium member exclusive, so don't miss out. Learn more about MedSider Mentors and our premium memberships by visiting MedSiderRadio.com forward slash mentors. Again, that's MedSiderRadio.com forward slash mentors. All right, without further ado, let's jump right into the interview. All right, Nick, welcome to MedSider Radio. Thanks for having me. Yeah, looking forward to the conversation and learning a lot more about Stratos as well as... uh, 
you know, the experiences that you've uh, gleaned along the way uh, building the company. So with that said, um, let's start with your professional b- background first. I-, I recorded a very short bio at the outside of this interview, but I, I always like to start kind of with an elevator pitch, um, kind of a- of what you were doing prior, you know, leading up to le- leading up to Stratos. So if you can kind of c- give us a high level overview of that, that'd be that'd be great. Yeah, happy to do that. Yeah, my my background is really in thinking about just healthcare, finance, and strategy. So I I have a background as a certified public accountant. I have an MBA in healthcare management. I worked for large consulting companies whose clients were hospitals and pharmaceutical and life sciences businesses, just looking looking at operational problems, financial problems, and and trying to help those companies with all of those you know, multitude of, of business-related issues. And that's really what drove me to be interested in really the you know life sciences, medical technology, hospital, healthcare space. But I actually had an aspiration at one point of, you know, while I was getting an MBA, uh, you know, doing uh, hospital administration is actually what I thought I would go into. So, you know, di- didn't exactly think I would end up in medical technology, uh, although I always liked physical products as well. So, yeah, my background is is not clinical, not scientific, but but my business background in healthcare was one of the reasons I got interested in the space. Got it. That's super helpful. And so, in terms in terms of um, Stratos and and kind of the core the core uh, uh, platform that you're that you're building, give us a high level sense of kind of um, what what the technology does, um, and then also kind of where you're at with it in terms of you know ClinReg commercialization, et cetera. And if you can kind of frame up the what does it do. Like let's just pretend I'm a I'm a freshman in high school, right? And I I know nothing about about your technology. If you can help me understand what it does, that'd be that'd be great. Yeah, at, at its most core level, what our technology does is it helps us capture when a patient is wheezing or coughing at home or wherever they may be, and notify clinical teams of those events so that they can take the right action to get the right care at the right time. So that that's the core technology and really part of our value proposition is enable care for patients with pulmonary conditions outside of the four walls of a hospital so that we can get ahead of events before they get really bad, before ER visits, before hospitalizations, and end up having better better outcomes for patients. Uh, and the unique technology that we developed to do that is an acoustic patch that you wear on your chest. Uh, that listens to your lung sounds, measures your breathing patterns, and uses a set of algorithms to detect when those events are occurring and how much worse they are getting, and then notifies the care team so they can take action. Yeah, that's, that's super. That's super unique. And, and and give us a sense for kind of where you're at in terms of uh, development, Rayclin, and, and commercialization. Yeah, so we we have officially received FDA clearance for our device and our platform. So the hardware patch that I described, as well as the software system that collects the data from the patch and displays it for clinicians. And so our clearance, uh, which in the U.S. 510K is uh, essentially the clearance of a medical device's safety uh, to be used in the U.S. It is a prescription product, so prescribed by doctors for patients. Uh, Our indication is all adult populations of patients, so we don't have a specific disease state that the technology has to be used in. Um, And really what we are capable of saying today is that the device can accurately detect changes in lung sounds while worn by a patient, both in hospitals and in health systems, as well as in the home. So that a doctor can, as you can imagine, can interpret what we are sending them uh, from the patient 
as something that could be useful to them clinically to know about that patient. So that's our, our primary initial regulatory clearance uh, in the U.S. We are manufacturing the product as we speak. Uh, we have a manufacturing site here in the U.S. That's our um, contract manufacturer. And we are in the process of building out a distribution network for the system as well. So we don't yet fully commercialize and distribute the product to hospitals for prescription today. But I'll tell you a little bit about one of the commercial avenues that we, ha- we have done um, and have continued to work in since our clearance, which is you know, helping us build our commercial strategy. So that's, that's where we are at from a regulatory perspective. Um, and then clinically, you know, as I sort of mentioned, is we're, we're building out our ability to actually distribute this, you know, across different uh, health systems in different states. You have to, you know, get regulatory or I should say, you know, certifications, right, in order to distribute in certain and licenses to be able to distribute in states. But also you have to develop your body of clinical evidence to support the benefit of the product to the patients. And because this is so new, you know, there's never been a device that can capture lung sounds from a patient, you know, in their own home. We have to establish the clinical evidence that doing so can provide better outcomes for patients. And so we're we're in the midst of developing that clinical plan and and doing those studies. Got it. Uh, I think that that really helps kind of set the stage for the, the the rest of the conversation. So we're recording this in early Q4 of 2023. I think your clearance, Nick, came in was it mid 2022? Does that sound about right? That's correct. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Got it. And so you're kind of in the process of not only building out kind of or scaling up from a manufacturing standpoint is probably the better way to say that, but you're also um, in the process of kind of. Uh, Executing against uh, your, your your clinical your clinical roadmap in, in preparation for uh, for distribution you know, commercialization and distribution um, over the next uh, over the next several several years I would imagine so for anyone listening that doesn't get to the full write up on MedSider definitely encourage you to check out the website stratoslabs.com s t r a d o s labs.com just as it sounds stratoslabs.com we'll link to it of course in the full write up but definitely encourage you to check out the technology really really cool um, and as Nick said earlier. It's, a, it's basically a wearable that, that and this is this is my description, right? But almost like a wearable that allows you to kind of gauge, you know, uh, lung functionality, for lack of a better description, right? That's obviously my own my own way of describing this, but it's a, it's really cool technology. So definitely encourage everyone to to take a look at it. Um, so with that said, let's let's use this next you know 20, 30 minutes or so, Nick, to go back in time um, and learn a little bit more about what you've learned since co-founding the company, you know, back in whatever mid two thousand eighteen timeframe. So you're about you know five plus years. Five plus years in the in the making, I'm sure you you've learned a lot. And maybe let's start with the design of of the actual the device um, itself. I'm sure the, the current kind of iteration uh, looks a lot different, right, than those first uh, those first uh, pilot or al- uh, alpha builds. And so when you think about you know what you've learned um, through those development life cycles, are there are there any like key lessons that come to mind? And uh, on a, on a, in a in a similar vein. If you could coach up any other entrepreneurs that are trying to move through these early development uh, phases with limited capital, you know what would what would your 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 advice be? Yeah, and, and you know to sort of reiterate, and I think you did a great job with the description. It is it is a wearable, and the easiest way to think about it is it's a wearable stethoscope, right? So you know the the, the key interest, right, was well, if you can build a stethoscope that can be worn and you could capture those events, how can that be helpful to you know to patients and to to doctors to provide better care and, and more uh, readily accessible care, right? So that was sort of the, the question that I was conflicted with when I started the idea was, you know, I think there's this interest in 
collecting this kind of data clinically. Patients seem to be interested in being able to know when they're having these kinds of pulmonary symptoms of wheezing and coughing and changes in their breathing pattern. Uh, and, and it appears as though we can build a technology that is now a wearable stethoscope, something that's now finally lightweight, you know, wireless, and can be inconspicuous enough to, a, 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 you know, a patient to be actually wear it. And so as far as going all the way back, you know, it really started as an idea that I had as a patient. I went to a hospital health hackathon event uh, in Philadelphia where I was getting my MBA at the time. And, you know, I, again, I, I talked about my, my background. I knew healthcare was a, a messy business and there was a need to have better earlier interventions to reduce hospitalizations and payment models were starting to change, although even five years later, they haven't fully changed, uh, but to what's called fee for for service, uh, well, from fee for service to fee for value, meaning hospitals would get paid to have better outcomes for patients versus just to, to do the procedures on patients. And as, as you might imagine, if you're a pulmonary patient, now coming to the ER a lot for your exacerbation of symptoms is no longer, you know, frankly, economically beneficial for hospitals and was never beneficial for patients. And so as a patient myself, um, you know, I, I knew the problem as a, you know, uh, professional said, yep, there's a big problem. It's a very expensive care. You don't have great ways of monitoring. And I said, well, I, you know, I, I know that because I'm an asthma patient. Um, I've been to the hospital for exacerbation of asthma, which is typically airway constriction where you start wheezing and coughing and uh, are unable to breathe. And I remember being asked by a doctor, when did your symptoms start? When did you start having difficulty breathing? And you know, I didn't really know how to answer that question. And as I thought more deeply about it, I said, isn't that a bit strange to think that, you know, seeking care and, and also assessing a patient clinically asks a question like that, where, you know, there's no objective assessment of that. You don't know the time stamping of it. You know nothing. And yet this is the kind of the standard of care. And so I said, well, if there was a way to objectively monitor those symptoms of wheezing and coughing and shortness of breath with a device, you know, I could share that information with my clinician ahead of time and make sure I'm on the right treatment plan. So that was sort of the whole impetus for this, for, you know, building this company and looking at this technology. And so, you know, what I always recommend to people is really think about the problem you're trying to solve before just starting to build technology. And in fact, what I did was I started with interviewing stakeholders. I interviewed patients, I interviewed doctors, nurses, technologists, people who worked for payer organizations within the healthcare ecosystem and administrators, and then, you know, said, hey, is there is this a real problem? Do you actually experience it? And do you think there, there's a need for, you know, better tools? And what might those tools look like? And so, you know, it helped us really understand the problem before trying to build a, uh, a solution, right? Because we could have built something that was not the right approach to, to solving that problem. So, you know, that's, that's, that's when I go back, I actually, you know, my most important, you know, memory was starting with the problem and not the solution was really crucial for us. Yeah. And it sounds, it's, it's like so, so straightforward, right. In retrospect, but it's so easy, right. When you're knee deep in, in your solution, in your thing that you're working on to lose sight of the fact that you may be uh, developing or designing a, a, a solution for, for a need that either, doesn't really make sense or you don't have a full, really full, full understanding of. Um, yeah. So really, really good advice. And to your point, Nick, about 
kind of that that underlying need, right, of not being able to objectively determine when this event, this respiratory event started, stopped, the degree, et cetera. Like it really resonates with me because I remember like one of our um our oldest daughters actually did have some um some pretty significant asthma related issues when she was really young. I think you know, basically uh, a, a newborn almost through like maybe when she was two or three years old or something like that. And that's never fun to have like some sort of uh, significant asthma event have to take uh, take her into the in, into the ER. But if if you would have had a technology, if, if we would have been, you know, been aware of like a te- technology like this, where you can like, like objectively, quantifiably, you know, gauge her, her, her lung capacity or lung function remotely. I mean, that would have been extremely valuable. So I can, I can see where you're going with it. I guess what I'm saying is I can see where you're going with, uh, with, with the, 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 the solution here, right. And being able to, to, to do all of that, to measure all of that, you know, quantifiable, you know, in a quantifiable way outside of the, outside of the hospital. Um, yeah, no, you're exactly right. Yeah. Yeah. So, so kind of, kind of moving on, let's move on to, to talk about, about regulatory uh, a little bit. And we already, we, you already mentioned that uh, your clearance came in kind of mid, mid 2022. I believe you've got CE mark uh, as well. Um, I think that came sometime, maybe a year, a year before then roughly something like that. So in essence, you've got some nice regulatory wins under your belt at, the, at this point in time, you know, looking back at the, at that journey, right. That regulatory journey, is there anything that you, um, that has been, very helpful uh, to you and your your team over the um, o- over the years, or or maybe uh, on the flip side, anything that you would do differently, you know, uh, the next the next go around. Yeah, and, and you know, for for folks who are thinking about you know medical technology and and, and regulatory, it's really, you know, again, also kind of sounds a bit obvious, but and I'll try to you know tie it to an example, but there are several different regulatory paths that you can take as a medical technology. And and I guess the example for us, right, is, you know, we have a wearable device that's intended to help monitor changes in lung sounds. But if I wanted to make a really big claim that, for example, we could predict an asthma exacerbation, well, that's going to require a whole different body of, of clinical evidence so that the regulators can feel comfortable with that claim. Right. And so, so, you know, I think it's always really important, and this is something that we learned, you know, and, and obviously continue to, to evaluate and assess as, as rules change, but had to think a lot about what's the most important first claim and first step that we need to make from a regulatory perspective. And for us, it was, well, we need to give clinicians, you know, from the feedback we heard, confidence that can a device that's worn on the chest actually listen to patient lung sounds at the same fidelity that they would hear from their own stethoscope, right? That was the big underlying preliminary question that we received. And so, you know, with that, we said, okay, well, what's the right regulatory path to go down? What claims do we want to make about really what product this is and what we say the product is capable of doing? And how does that help us get to the next commercial step without, you know, obviously talking about, uh, having only finite access to capital, especially at the early stages, you know, how does, how can we do all of that in a capital efficient manner that de-risks the solution moving forward for investors? And so, you know, all I'll say is it's something that we certainly thought a lot about and, you know, our predicate device as an example is a stethoscope, right? So all of our testing was that while worn on the body, our device can capture lung sounds at the same fidelity as a, um, FDA cleared stethoscope and thus, you know, we can rely on that data set. So, 
you know, that's just an example of how what you want to achieve clinically, marketing-wise, regulatory and reimbursement are all really, they're really intertwined. And I think it's important to, as an as a entrepreneur, to, <laughs> you want to swing for the fences, let's say, right? And it would be wonderful to be able to do this really big study that's, you know, uh, randomized and controlled and demonstrates clinical outcomes for the product. But if you haven't even done the basic principles, which is, well, is it even accurate? Uh, you know, you, you got to start there. And that's what we did. And, and, you know, so now that allows us as a company to say, okay, well, what's the next thing that we want to be able to prove and start marketing about our product. But now we, we can rely on its accuracy and its safety for patients. Yeah. It's a, it's a really good point. It reminds me of, of, of something that, um, Mike Wallace brought up. He's a, he, he re, most recently, he's a serial kind of med tech entrepreneur, most recently sold Devoro uh, to Boston Scientific uh, and is now, uh, um, you know, working on a number of different projects, sits on a lot of boards, you know, I think is an, a part-time investor as well. Um, and he, he, he was like, you know, a, a lot, a big mistake that I, that I see a lot of, uh, a lot of med tech entrepreneurs make is they, they, they do try to swing to the fences for, for the fences too early. Right. Or they, they try to, they try to take too big of a swing at, at the plate. And I think what he meant by that was, you know, right away they're, they're, you know, they're trying to tackle a, a class three PMA device or something like that. When in reality, they should just nail the basics first, right. Get a five, get one five, 10 K maybe with limited indications. Um, but just get one under your belt, um, just to get some, some reps in basically in essence, right. Um, before you, you take your, you know, maybe a, a bigger swing, uh, the next time around. And it sounds like, you know, your advice is, is, is somewhat similar. Hey there, it's Scott. And thanks for listening in so far. The rest of this conversation is only available via our private podcast for MedSider premium members. If you're not a premium member yet, you should definitely consider signing up. You'll get full access to the entire library of interviews dating back to 2010. This includes conversations with experts like Renee Ryan, CEO of Cala Health, Nadim Yared, CEO of CVRX, and so many others. As a premium member, you'll get to join live interviews with these incredible medical device and health technology entrepreneurs. In addition, you'll get a copy of every volume of MedSider Mentors at no additional cost. To learn more, head over to MedSiderRadio.com forward slash premium. Again, that's MedSiderRadio.com forward slash premium.